This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Redefining Success, the show where we speak to passionate people from various fields about their careers and lives, what makes them tick and how they define success. I'm Dashran Johan. My guest on today's show is Dr. Chua Suk Ning. She's a clinical psychologist, she's a researcher and also the founder of Relate Malaysia, an NGO that pushes to raise awareness on mental health, provides mental health services and does advocacy work as well. Welcome to the show, Dr. Chua. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me. So let's start with what exactly your job is. You are a clinical psychologist. What exactly does a clinical psychologist do? So what we don't do is read minds. I know that's a myth that's out there. So psychology is really just the field of human behavior, including you know thought, emotions. Um, so the, the whole spectrum. So, but clinical psychologists tend to focus on what is often referred to as abnormal psychology. So we have the normal behaviors. So we have like normal sadness and normal anxiety. And then we have maybe on either end, too much anxiety, too much sadness, or for some people, not enough sadness when something bad happens, you know, they've completely numbed themselves or maybe completely no anxiety, which is not um adaptable at all. So on either spectrums, a a clinical psychologist would focus on that. Right. So paint a picture for me a day in the life of Dr. Chua Suk Ning. What exactly do you do on a day-to-day basis? So I dreaded this question because (laughs) I think people would find it very, very boring. Uh, So I see some clients. So I have some sessions. I look at my screen and do research and type papers or analyze data and I meet with interns and supervise people. And sometimes I have business meetings to um, try to continue growing Relate Malaysia. So it's, it's busy. And then in between, I like to watch TV. Oh. I'm watching Bones right now. So it's, oh, guys, nice. it's not like I don't have fun. Um, but <laughs> Do you get I, that I a really, lot? Do you get that a lot? You yeah, don't I have think fun? people <laughs> think that it's like quite boring. But I think because I like what I'm doing. Uh, it, it actually doesn't feel boring. Um, and I, I have time with my dog, my family, friends. Uh, but just kind of, I slot work in between other activities. Right. If, if that makes sense. Right. So let's talk a little bit more about your work, right? So you, you talk about how, you know, every day you see some clients. What exactly goes on in in a room when someone goes and meets a, a psychologist um, like yourself? Um, what is it that they are coming to you for? What are you trying to achieve? That's a great question. Um, I, I want to say a sense of magic, but then that's a, that's a lie. I don't know why I said that. Um, so, because sometimes I think I think it feels to patients it feels magical, mm-hmm. um, and that's what they have kind of um, given me feedback on. It's like they don't like I don't know why talking to you I feel better. So often they come to me. Um, they don't feel that great. Or for some people, they feel okay in general, but they're looking for more growth, mm-hmm. right? So it's not like they're sad or depressed anymore. It's just like, I've got some stuff to work through in my life and that I need help on. Uh, and so they come to me and they bring something in and we talk about that. And so generally I'm looking at what are the obstacles in life? So 
um, what's the problem in living? And I like that phrase because it doesn't pathologize anything. Mm. It's just that sometimes we have problems in living, right? It could, something's getting in the way of that. It could be, you know, some, if you want to term it, mental illness. But sometimes it's not even an illness, right? It's just something that's blocking us. And so what's that obstacle? How does your past contribute to that? How does the present contribute to that? And what does your future look like? And so then we aim towards that future direction. So it's always about change in some way. You know, I'm very curious um, because a lot of people, they may not be very familiar with, with what mental health, um, this this realm of mental health, right? Um, it's still very unfamiliar to many people. Um, what is different about talking to a clinical psychologist and talking to a friend uh, or a parent? I mean, I think that could be in, in all areas. Like what's the difference between talking to a doctor about a lump you found and talking to a friend. So one person has dedicated their life and to understanding people, right? People's feelings, behaviors, and thoughts and what what are things we could do to change, change things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a friend is necessary. I think when I was in therapy, uh, when I was, you know, going through my depression, I came to that same question. I was like, why would I even want friends? Because my therapist is so understanding. Right. And I, I you know, so it's, 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 you know, a therapist is, or a psychologist is trained to do that. It's not about us. We don't bring ourselves into the picture. And it's really all about the client and there's complete uh, confidentiality. And what's different about a friend is that's living life, right? Because I only see you once a week. And the rest of the time you have to spend with your family, you have to spend with your friends. Now, you know, over time, your ne- the ne- your your relative may or may not want to talk about the problems. But if that not talking or not sharing is an issue in the relationship, therapy should facilitate your relative to talk to your uncle and say, this, you know, I have something going on, but I'm not ready to share. And could you give me some space? So... Therapy facilitates you living your life. It, it, we cannot replace life with just therapy because that's 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 a very narrow life, right? But I think that's what some people look for. They look for some for relationships that completely understand them, completely is about them, and that's only in therapy, right? It is it is a professional relationship where we are dedicated to helping you, and then you go out in the world and you find, yeah, people. It's not just about you, it's also about other people and how to negotiate that. So therapy should be supporting you doing that um, and not replacing that. How do you define success when you hear the word success? What do you think of? What does it mean to you? I get stuck on this question, to be honest. I, I think I'm like, well, I, don't, I don't know how many people you've interviewed who, who would say this. I don't think about success. I'm like a problem-focused individual. Hmm. And so if something is achieved, I'm like, okay, whatever, next thing, you know, right. blah, blah, blah. And then whatever is so the next thing. So I, I would say I like the feeling of making progress on things. So I guess success would be just moving along, right? Because there isn't, there isn't a 
an okay. end goal mm-hmm. in that sense. It's not like, wow, there is no more stigma of mental illness. There will always be prejudice, right? There will always be discrimination. But where's our desirable state at this moment? And I guess I'm I'm just heading to that place and one step at a time. I was like, yeah, I feel good about that. I feel good about that. But there isn't this, I think... Um, if you look on WhatsApp and all the emojis, it's like, yeah, success. I can put, I can rest on my laurels and that's life, you know? Right. Um, so I think just moving along, learning, um, changing, I, I guess that's pretty successful a person who is, um, has that humility to recognize what we don't know and uh, the desire to continue learning and moving ahead. Because I think if our identity is tied to an outcome, mm then our happiness is also tied to that, right? So I can't be happy unless, you know, the nation changes. But the nation changing has very little in some in the big picture to do with just a single person, my Absolutely. effort, right? right? It takes the collaboration of so many stakeholders and the the will of of uh, the the collaborative will of everyone to make that change. So from if I define success only when, when so many factors outside my control come together and work, I think I'll be, it'd be very hard for me to find happiness mm. and to be at peace, right? And and then the on, on the flip side, you know, I guess history has taught us that nothing lasts. And so I'm not looking to, I mean, maybe in, in hundreds of years time there'd be a statue of me but but I wouldn't even know right do you know what I mean mm-hmm. I can't enjoy that kind of success and and again if, if that's what I'm working towards then I become very focused on maintaining my own power mm-hmm. you know and I can't be happy when the new generation comes in and completely takes takes it in a different direction because it's my empire so I've kind of defined it that way but I think the work that we're doing has to evolve and change. The next generation is going to come up with new ways to tackle mental health and what's the best thing for that generation. And it's not going to be my way or even your way, right? Mm-hmm. So, and, and so the work keeps evolving. And so as long as if, if everyone defines success as making a little progress and growing in the right direction, I think the community will be better off. Mm-hmm. Right. If we're all humble and we're all trying to see each other's humanity and recognize and connect to one another authentically, I have no doubt that it is a better society. Um, but it, in many ways, the if if I have my happiness and sense of achievement connected to so many external factors, it will be hard for me to be at peace. So, you know, talking about, you know, your passion, um, you're clearly very passionate about psychology. Why did you decide to pursue psychology in the first place? So I wanted to be a clinical psychologist since I was 14. Wow. And, uh, yes. it's uh, and But before that, I wanted to be a marine biologist because of a, a m- probably now many of your audience don't know it, but Sequest right. <laughs> was on some local channel <laughs> somewhere. And I really liked the main star, Jonathan Brandis. And I was like, I'm going to save the dolphins. <laughs> then after that, I was like, I'll just save people. Now, um, So I've always been interested in the why, why people do what they do. 
and trying to understand human behavior and, and what they think and how they feel. But it wasn't until I was 14 was when a, a relative started showing signs of a mental illness mm. and the difficulty in, uh, in receiving help and in seeking for help. So even even 20 years ago, you know, we, we, we have come a long way uh, since, since then. But 20 years ago, there was, uh, it was very hard to seek any sort of help and, and get any sort of understanding. So I think seeing the distress of relatives and, and family members led me to want to do something about it. I mean, mm -hmm. along the way, I took different turns. Um, but I, th I think that was the first seed to say, oh, my interest in psychology isn't just about understanding the, oh, why people do that, but that the, the, this, uh, this is a real problem that affects a whole community and there's so little we know about it. Uh, and so that's when I decided to pursue clinical psych. That's great because um, not many people sort of pursue or end up pursuing their childhood dreams. Um, a lot of times, you know, you, you may dream about doing or may have ambitions as a teenager, which eventually you just pivot and do something else altogether. But you've been dreaming or, or at least have had this ambition to dive into psychology since you were 14. Um, how does it feel now that when you reflect um, on life um, and you say, you know, I'm, I'm actually doing what I've dreamed of doing for the longest time? I mean, I like psychology. So I'm fortunate in that, right? Because a lot of people go into psych and, and they don't realize how research-based it is and that you have stats and you have numbers and you're like, ah, I just want to talk to people. Um, but, <laughs> you know, I just wanted to go to the real nitty gritty, but what is this papers you're making me read? Uh, I'm fortunate that I, I do enjoy that uh, side of psychology. I do like the numbers. So um, I love it. And I think psychology is in every aspect of life or any career that has to deal with humans, right? There is... We, we can repackage it, you know, into marketing or management or, or business. But <laughs> there's all these psych principles underlying any anything that tells you how to relate to people. Um, and I think that's fascinating, um, fascinating work. So I'm really glad that my, my parents were supportive of it, you know, because a lot of people weren't that supportive of uh, psychology back then. Um, so I'm thankful for that. Tell me about the evolution of your career since your university days, um, because you've wanted to do this for a long time. So talk to me about that journey. Um, what did you study and how has your e career evolved since then? Okay, well, very boring because I just did psychology all the way. <laughs> I, I knew I needed a PhD to practice overseas. Mm -hmm. um, so I went to McGill University in Canada. My my parents shipped me out far away Um <laughs> <laughs> Mainly because uh, psychology, and it, it is still very young in Malaysia, but psychology wasn't very well developed then. And so they shipped me over there. And as I I planned my undergrad career um, to to be to come to a place where I could then just pursue my PhD. So I did undergrad, a master's, PhD, all nonstop, 10 years in school, Um so that that hasn't that didn't evolve um, all the way. I think what has evolved was, you know, doing a PhD sets you up to for a career in academia. Um, and 
and that and, and you know being in in uh, in as an all lecturer or researcher, I think that has changed since university days. As I I started lecturing, so I I still am quite connected to academia. Um, part of it why I changed was my my own depression, um, and coming to a point where. I guess I I brought back that childhood dream of like system change and that the system is not supportive of uh, mental health at that moment. And so I think what surprised me was that I knew about stigma um, and how people perceived others with mental illness. I didn't know that I would have self-stigma and that I would think poorly of myself for being depressed. Uh, so that was humbling in some sense, right? We can gather all this knowledge, but then to realize that, wow, wait a minute, I too need to change and made me think that, wow, we really need a concerted, intentional effort to tackle this, this these issues in society. Because if I have all the knowledge and I spent 10 years studying this and still I have this internalized stigma what more about other people who don't know and who aren't exposed to the same things and so that really I guess shifted me to you know founding Relate Malaysia to to be more intentional about that about changing these things in society um, and then along the and so we did community mental health which we're still doing through Relate um, and I guess I took another pivot uh, a couple of years back to public mental health or public health and mental health as a mouthful. Um, just because community mental health is always at the the level where we're talking to people, but the right. policy makers do what they do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and so community community organizations are putting out fires. But in order for us to have fewer fires, we need to understand from uh, the from a system level how things are operating. And so I went into public health um, a couple of years back. I just finished my master's in public health recently. Uh, and and that's that's been really fun to just have a different uh, viewpoint and, and understand how the systems uh, work and why, you know, changing, you know, just doing this will not necessarily have the intended effect we want. All right, let's go for a very quick break. On the show with me today is Dr. Chua Suk Ning, clinical psychologist and the founder of Relate Malaysia. We'll be back with more after the break. Keep it here on Redefining Success, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Redefining Success. I'm Dashun Johan and on the show with me today is Dr. Chua Suk Ning, clinical psychologist and the founder of Relate Malaysia. Um, so before the break, you touched on um, the founding of Relate Malaysia a little bit. Could you expand on that? Um, what motivated you to start this initiative and how does that tie into what you were personally going through? Like you mentioned before the break, your own um, depression and the internalized stigma that you yourself faced. So I, I would love to say I was very intentional about Relate mm-hmm. Malaysia and this great five-year plan. <laughs> I had none of that. Um, uh, I I started started initially as I was recovering from my depression um, and basically looking for a job. And I was like, oh man, I'm a therapist. <laughs> I, I, I could do that. Um, 
And I was like, okay, you know, but how, how would people know? I was like, okay, we need to educate the public, right? And so that actually started out of just um, a, a private practice going like, okay, we have to uh, raise awareness of mental health um, and so, so that more people would know about mental health. And uh, I guess it was some sort of selfish reason to like, so I could get more clients, right? Hmm. Um, but then the more info- the more I dug into it, I was like, there's so much people don't know. And there's so much hidden uh, like stats because <laughs> mm-hmm. I like stats. And we had I had to dig through, you know, kind of reports of that. And I was like, oh man, people really need to know. And so I scaled up awareness. I was like, I'm going to start a website to educate folks. And and so that's how it started. And then I started giving um, public talks about mental health. And I think people, people come up to me and be persuaded that seeing a psychologist or a counselor is a, is a good thing. And they'll go, but where do I do it? And I was like, oh, yo-ho, where? <laughs> so <laughs> you're like private, very expensive, maybe, you know, public public service. There are not that many psychologists in, in public service. Um, and so the waiting time is really long. And so I was like, oh, yeah. And I was like, yeah, we should have a community <laughs> clinic because I love training people right. and I'm trained. So I was like, okay. And I, I need a certain price point. So we, we did uh, interns and we have interns that are more affordable. And then we have also professionals. And then after that, I was like, okay, so I've got the awareness and I've got this. And I'm like, but how to do system change? Because no big shot that I talked to cared about mental health. Right. That's it, right. Unless, and you know, I was like, is it real? You know, is it in a white people problem? Is it really affecting us? And and so I surveyed uh, the literature and looked at how other countries were pushing for change. Um, and then I realized change doesn't happen unless you put a dollar sign to it. Hmm. And I said, unfortunately, I'm a researcher and I, I can I can do that. I can economics. How hard can it be to learn it? <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I'll just, I mean, I, I learned the basics of it um, to, to put a cost to it and, and based on other papers that have been written on cost of mental health. Uh, and so I was like, okay, research. And so actually Relate Malaysia is based on my own strengths, hmm. right? Because I lecture, I do research, and I'm a clinical psychologist. Um, so it's, it's all, I, I guess it's selfish, right? So I'm only doing what I'm good at, which is a good thing. But yeah. I think, the, you know, these this three-prong approach allows us not just to meet community and provide services at the ground level, which always keeps us humble. Because sometimes at a policy level, you don't realize how your policies are affecting people, right? Because it's it can it can be very abstract. Um and and the research really touches on the, the policies and, and uh, epidemiology, so how prevalent is mental illness, and so that that would also facilitate uh, the community work. So I, I like that we're holistic. Um, and so I, I really enjoy our work because we're, we're still quite small, which means that we get to test a lot of things and mm-hmm. do a lot of trial and error. And, you know, every time you have the, you have, um, you have a thought in your head, that usually sounds like a complaint, right? Like, you know what? People uh, should do like that, like that, like that. Right. <laughs> Maybe, right? <laughs> we get a chance to do that, mm-hmm. right? To just kind of test it out. And so when interns or staff come and bring in, you know, what about this? I say, great idea. Why don't you run with it? Because as long as things are evidence-based 
and low cost, we can keep trying things and then we can fail fast because really I'll admit that that there are very few like stigma interventions that have really worked, mm-hmm. right? We have more mental health awareness, but awareness doesn't mean less stigma. And so we have to keep trying different things and evolving. So I, I like that um, that experience of, of leading Relate Malaysia just as uh, an incubator as well, right? Just like a, a lab to just do stuff to change the system. Let's talk about the stigma a little bit, um, especially in Malaysia. What are some of the common misconceptions or stigmas surrounding mental health in Malaysia that you've encountered throughout your years? It's surprisingly, it's global. So the mm. same stereotypes here are found everywhere. Um, perhaps a little bit more weighted on faith because of our large um, Muslim population. So it's a lot about like you don't have enough faith or maybe you didn't pray enough, you're not faithful enough. Right. And then on the others that are also very common, you're lazy, you know, you are uh, attention seeking, you know, you choose like that, you know, and this is uh, because you didn't make good choices in life. And and I want to be careful there because yes, there are things that we can always, we can do, which is why psychotherapy exists. There are things we can do to improve our mood and, and help us learn how to live life, but no one chooses to be ill, right? We, the only thing we can choose right now is like, we have a choice where do we get better? But so that's different. I think the choice to get better people equate it to, oh, that means you chose to get ill, hmm. right? But actually in reality, all of us are trying to make choices for happiness, right? right? We're all trying to have a happy life and a good life and sometimes it doesn't lead there or maybe the choices that we thought were going to lead to happiness were foolish or maybe unwise or maybe there was no other way. And so, you know, we ended up in a whole different direction that we couldn't adapt to and couldn't cope with. But again, our choices weren't for suffering. Very few people make a choice to go, ah, this one, more suffering I like, <laughs> right? We all are making choices what we think would lead to happiness. Some of these choices don't work out the way we want it to, but now we can continue making new choices with someone to facilitate that that decision-making and help us see different perspectives through therapy and to then be able to live life again. I think that's really wonderfully put. Now, um, Dr. Chua, I remember um, a paper, because I, I think I spoke to you a couple of years ago, if I'm not mistaken, about a paper you wrote um, I'm talking about um, how much the country loses economically if people don't take mental health seriously. I think it was called The Economic Cost of Suicide. It's a brilliant paper, by the way. But, you know, and I'm asking this question because um, I'm wondering how you feel that you have to connect mental health to money to economics, to the country losing money, to GDP and things like that, for people to actually start paying attention and caring. Um, yeah, it, it, it is. And I, I recognize that some people are upset by it. Um, and because you never know, put a, a dollar to someone's life before people start paying mm. attention. I guess I took a pragmatic approach to it to be like, if this is what gets people to pay attention, let's just do it. You know, if, you know, because they're, they're equating like for like, right? I put in money, so you tell me how much it's going to cost, right? Right. They're not saying I put in people, then you tell me how many people you're going <laughs> to lose, right? 
And and so because they are thinking in terms of finances and as you said, like economics, like to show the cost uh, to Malaysia as a whole, if you don't trade it, you're actually losing more than if right. you just invest some money trading it. Um, hopefully, we'll 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 get people to think about oh, okay, there are all these hidden costs, right? Money being drained down, even turnovers and and or your staff with presenteeism and absenteeism, which is your largest cost in, in um, the workforce. And so getting people to think differently about mental health, I think, is crucial if they're going to then say, oh, we're going to invest in that, right? So it's like for like, yeah. Absolutely. And, and I guess the question wasn't about why you wrote the paper, more like, you have to write this paper for society to care about these things, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think that is the thing. It's more of a, of, a, of a sort of a critique on society at large rather than on you, you writing the paper in the first place. I'm wondering, yeah. you've been doing this for many years now. What are some of the biggest lessons you've learned throughout your career? Ooh, okay. Mm-hmm. So... I'm not. I'm. I'm not even that old. I don't think I've been doing this. I, I've been doing it for a number of years. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people have been advocating longer than than I have. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'd say uh, first lesson is if you're going to do community work, and this is how you decide you want to do community work. Okay, <laughs> this is my my image that I tell young people who come and talk to me. I was like, imagine you're going to lay a brick. Right. If you want to lay the brick and then sign your name, you should go into politics. If you want to lay a brick and then you're happy that there's no name and the people forgot that you laid it and you're okay with that, but just knowing that you contributed to a path being built, then you can do community work mm. because it's, it's, it's often not that rewarding. And, and you know, you have to be satisfied with being in the background and, and supporting uh, other people who who are on the forefront of things, right? And and so I think that's that's one is that don't don't put yourself first. And the, the second one is something that a random guy told me. Okay. Um, he's like. You know, you're not going to make any change. <laughs> you don't have enough money. <laughs> okay, that one I dismissed. But then he said something, uh, you need to play the long game. Mm. You know, and, and so I was like, okay, so uh, I was like, uh, so I was initially offended by what he said because he wasn't being encouraged. I was like, you should be encouraging me. Mm. You know, I'm trying to do something great. Um, but I think that playing the long game is really important and I mean, I often tell people too is that I don't really expect uh, supernatural like uh, change in my lifetime. I just need to con- continue chipping away at it, mm. um, and you know, because progress and and attitude change is slow, right? And so we need to keep be steady with those forces of change. And so you got to play the long game um, with that. So you know, be 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 humble and anonymous and play the long game. And the third one, I'll say like, keep learning because there's new knowledge coming out all the time. And if, if I depend on something that I learned in grad school, even something I learned 10 years ago, I'll be outdated and outdated doesn't, (laughs) doesn't, doesn't age well, you know, so keep kind of evolving and learning. You know, I would imagine as a clinical psychologist, a, a mental health advocate, 
you face incredible sadness um, and grief on a day-to-day basis. I'm, I'm talking about people. Um, you deal with a lot of people who are going through a lot. Um, and if you're not um, dealing with that directly through your clients, you're en- sort of um, 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 engaging with that through your research, through your readings. Are, they, are there days where it just gets overwhelming? I wouldn't say overwhelming, mm-hmm. but it, it does get heavy. Mm. Um, I, th- I think when you listen to um, people's stories and, you know, if I do things well, I have to really empathize right. and, and see things from their perspective and sort of feel some of the emotions or understand how they're feeling. So it, it gets heavy, I think. Um, and so on, on some days, it's, it weighs on me. Hmm. Uh, I, I don't think it overwhelms me right now uh, at, at this stage uh, of where I am. Uh, how do I deal with it? I have my own therapy, uh, so first of all, uh, <laughs> I think the but the more the the other important piece is remembering that these aren't your problems, right? It's the I'm just carrying someone else's issues, and I gotta leave it with. With, I got to leave it there. And so I have got to return to my own life and which, you know, some, whatever it, it takes, whatever it takes to bring you back to your own life for some people is meditation, a walk in the park, watching TV, whatever it is to bring you back to who am I? Right. Just how- as a human, not even as a therapist, but just who am I here? So how do you strike that balance, you know, between leaving it there and being very emotionally connected and invested in what your clients are going through? So I'd say that's where professional boundaries are helpful, right? It's not like when the clock strikes the hour, I'm like, ah, all right, <laughs> good luck right. with whatever you're facing, <laughs> back to my life. Uh, so it's not like that, right. but I think holding on to to someone's sadness um, and like even at times you, you hear your the stories and I, I tear up mm-hmm. um, because there's incredible pain there um, I you know that's I always got this question maybe I'm always answering it poorly but I think it's like leaving it there is like also remembering that in, in that space you are that professional and this is your job to mm-hmm. go and carry someone's pain and you got to say, oh, okay, now I'm going to change hats to just be me, right? And I think, you know, in, t- in terms of talking and what's the most difficult thing about being a psychologist is people think that that's who you are mm. 24-7. Like, right. I am not that nice. <laughs> you, know, that's right. you know, I don't want to listen to people's problems all day long, right? This is a person. I mean, my friends know how grumpy I am. You know, my family knows how how rude I and selfish I could be. And so there needs to be space to to not to be about you, right? Uh, as, as well, and not just be a psychologist. You sound like you know it's the, uh, it's twenty four seven. It sounds like the same thing like a stand up comedian says sometimes. You know, it's like well, not every, always funny. Yeah, exactly. You go everywhere, and people say, "Tell me a joke." Oh, you're supposed to be funny and happy. All, and, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I think you know people equate you know the profession uh, with who you are as as a human, 
human being and just as a person on the day to day. Um, and so I think that we do need friends and 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 uh, family members or support system at least to understand that you don't have to be that. And you could just be you. You could just be um, saying to someone like, you know what, today I don't want to listen to your problems. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, today, yeah, can we just do something fun? I just want to be about me, right? Things that you can't do with your clients because it's really about your clients. So I, you do need that shift away by also allowing yourself to, I think, be at the forefront uh, and be in a different and have different types of relationships where you're not carrying everything. Uh, and it's a little bit more equal in a mutual relationship. And so th I think that would help you kind of check out of the therapist role. And and you could be sad. And, and if that sadness stays, that's okay. You just need to get your support system and unwind or, you know, go for supervision and talk through it, right? So you may have to work through some of this, uh, th these things that I think, the ones that will probably hit the hardest is when you identify with it, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not just any sadness or anything. The more you identify with it, uh, the, the the longer you will carry it or the more you carry. But then again, you see, different. it's not about your client anymore. It has now become about you. Right. And what has been activated. So you got to work through that. Absolutely. So what has been your proudest moment um, of your career thus far? Yes, much like that success question. I <laughs> think uh, uh, about right often. Um, I think. What made you tear up? Happy tears. <laughs> okay, okay, I can do this. I can do this. Come on, <laughs> why? Why do I have so little positive emotions? I got to work on. <laughs> Those are my happy past moments. Um, I'm often proud about other people, actually. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very proud of my team um, and what they have achieved. And I think pride in others probably come easier to me mm -hmm. uh, than be like, oh, I'm really proud of myself. Yeah. Um, I'm really... Uh, some Oh, ooh, okay, okay. okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> I want to say my proudest moments. Mm -hmm. But what makes me proud is... When I do something that I'm afraid of doing and it's difficult to me, hmm. and it could be as simple as confronting someone and saying, you know, the thing that you said I really hurt me. Hmm. And then internally, I'm like, yeah, way to go, Sukning. Bam, bam. <laughs> you know, you did it. Wow. <laughs> so then, then I've got the pat on my back. Yeah, good job, because that was really tough for you. Right. So I got my own cheerleader. Mm -hmm. And so I think those are proud moments when I can see myself uh, changing in the direction uh, that I want to be changing and becoming braver or more courageous and uh, dealing with the, the things in my life. I think that's a fantastic answer. It's sometimes the little things that really matter. Oh, yeah. And you can be so proud because she's like, yeah, I confronted someone, <laughs> you know, I didn't avoid. I think that's great. Yeah. yeah. What advice, so before we wrap this conversation up, what advice would you give someone who says, I want to be Dr. Chua Suk Ning one day. I want to be like her. Oh, I said, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> you, don't, you, don't, you don't want to be like me. Um, I, I think 
I think you got to find your your own path. Hmm. Um, so I, I think it's fine. This is such a psych answer. I'm sorry. I should give you a simpler answer, but I'll give you a psych answer. Okay. I said, you know, it's if you want to contribute to society, the thing is you got to find your own way because the way I'm doing it is based on my own strengths and I and I supplement my weaknesses with the with my team. <laughs> but my strengths aren't your strengths. So you got to find your way and on something you're passionate about because you got to play the long game, right? Um, and you got to get your own support system and you have to remember and one time that when I, I was discouraged um, about Relate Malaysia because it is really hard uh, and, my, and I was like, I should just give up and my sister said, um, you know, is it worth it if you only help one person with Relate? Mm. And I was like, no. I want to help the whole world. <laughs> okay. okay. So that was my ego. But mm-hmm. in reality, yeah. Absolutely. Right? Because why not? I mean, I, I guess you have this existential question. of like, what's your life going to be? And what if that one person turned out to be Barack Obama? Right. I don't know. Right? I mean, who knows? Right? Yeah. So you, you, if we value our success in how many people we touch, which is like your KPI. Rather than in our, in my line of work, at least valuing the individual and saying, if I contribute something positive to someone's life and they come back to me and says, you know, Dr. Chua, thank you so much. And you really changed my life. Is that not worthwhile? I mean, that that is worthwhile. And that can then encourage me to do the next thing. So I'll say, find something you're passionate about, something you're good. And my dog is growing. So <laughs> something that you're good at. Um, and that's something you okay. really sorry, and something you really care about, and then head that direction, um, and then try a whole bunch of different things to get there. But don't don't necessarily follow my path because it means that you have to be depressed. <laughs> you got to like learn difficult lessons. You know, you got to go through all of that because I'm a product of my experience. <laughs> and on that wonderful note, Dr. Chua, thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. That was Dr. Chua Suk Ning, clinical psychologist and the founder of Relate Malaysia. If you missed any part of this conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashan Johan, and this has been Redefining Success, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.